So I think for me, sustainability is um, how I can do things in my life without um, arming somebody else or like providing someone to achieve uh, things in their life. And even if it's someone that will be born a hundred years from now. To me, I probably think sustainability is that whenever we do an activity or use up our finite resources in the world, making sure that we're not wasting the resources we have and um, we're not using up all of them so that we don't have any left for future generations. I've been trying to reduce my waste at home and I just save lots of money. For me, sustainability is my chickens, you know, they are, you know, they take all my, you know, my scraps and everything and they give eggs and they give compost for the garden and yeah, they're great. This is The Grass Ceiling, a guided tour of sustainability. Sustainability is ever-changing and complex, so join us as we break it down and figure it out. Welcome to our first episode of The Grass Ceiling. I'm Sumi, one half of the TGC team. And I'm Nick. <laughs> is that my cue? I'm Nick, uh, the other half of the TGC team. Team. So we started this project because there's this really big word and it's a really loaded word as well. And that word is? Sustainability. Because there's so many different ways of interpreting it and there's so many different ways of practicing it. So many different contexts that it's used in, so many different uh, products being sold with sustainable or sustainable sustainability in the, in the title. So, And so what is sustainability really depends on what questions you ask and who you talk to. What they're trying to sell you. So that's really the goal, I guess, of this podcast and, and the website, the resource more broadly, is to provide, as you said, something of a guided tour around all these different ways of looking at it because we both often feel, and one of the reasons I think why we're doing this is that sustainability is often defined pretty narrowly. And whenever you and I have conversations about anything to do with sustainability, one thing that I find is we rarely get the answer to a whole conversation in one, from one document or from one paper. Yeah. It often comes with, you know, I'm looking at five different articles from this thing and then you're talking about five other articles and we're going back and forth and we're saying, but this author says and this author says. And sometimes we realize there's not necessarily a conversation that happens with everything taken together. And yeah, so that's, that's so true. Yep. And so that's basically what I guess we're trying to do here with this project. If we were to use jargon, we'd describe it as integrative or interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary or something like that. But yeah, in very simple terms, what we're trying to do is bring together all those different conversations, different ideas, different definitions, different practices. Because being a uni student, you're kind of in this middle ground between being given a fair number of resources to read and to try and break down and analyze and understand. But at the same time, you have to come up with your own understanding of things and you need to present it when you produce things like essays or projects or whatever. Basically, that's kind of how we met, right? Like we met as first year uni students a couple of years ago in a class. Sitting in a tutorial, you know, angrily debating, you know, often on the same side of things, I think. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. We met in that context of being exposed um, particularly in that class, uh, which we might mention later in the podcast, uh, which explored 
definitions of sustainability and ideas of it from you know, multiple perspectives. It was taught by two academics, not one. It was, uh, one was a uh, environmental scientist and the other was a geographer. So we got those two perspectives. And I think he had a sociology background. That's true. Yes, he so did. a human yep. geographer as well. Yep. Human geographer. I like that. I've never heard that. That's good. Yeah. So in high school, we like if you're a geography student, you'd learn physical geography and you'd learn human geography. And they okay. both had two teachers, which sometimes frustrated me a lot because I was like, okay, we're learning about the impacts of volcanoes and things like that and how people are building their lives back up. But this has absolutely no conversation with the stuff that we're learning in the other class about urbanization and how an increased urban population means that more people are vulnerable to this very same volcano that may have erupted like 500 years ago, (laughs) which I found so weird. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the benefits of being a student here at uh, ANU at the Fenner School of the Environment and Society, because we do get that integration, at least on some level between, you know, what you're describing, maybe earth system science and uh, sociology and, you know, human geography, as you call it. So one of the questions that we're kind of answering or trying to answer here then is what is sustainability? If we're going to be making a podcast about sustainability and a website and other resources, essays and so on, it seems to be a good first step to define what sustainability is. And as we say, as we've been saying, it's very multifaceted, many different definitions, some of them competing and so on. So to understand perhaps why we have so many different approaches to sustainability, it helps to track quickly through the history of it. So what was one of the first times that sustainability was prominent? Right. So a quick and nasty history, I would say, of sustainability is that to begin with environmentalism, which begins in sort of roughly the 60s, 70s. And so one of the key influential works during that time would have been Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, uh, which focused on the use of pesticides and DDT, but took a more broad aim to illustrate to people that humans do harm to the environment and that harm comes back to visit us as well. And that book was hugely popular and it started to spawn, I think, in a lot of people's minds, this idea of environmentalism and thinking green and and, uh, taking care of the earth and so on. And so out of that movement, out of the green movement, about a decade later, maybe, for example, we saw one of these earlier conferences on sustainability still called, you know, a conference on the environment. For example, in 1972, we had the Stockholm Declaration, which was 26 different principles being outlined. And the majority of those are environmental, but there are three of them which are very clearly not, you know, they start with, you know, language like... um, man must be free and live a life of dignity and so on. So it's not, it's, we're starting to see, and this is sort of maybe one of the first features of sustainability and helps us answer what is sustainability. We're starting to see that it's something more than environmentalism. Well, even in looking at the full name of the Stockholm Declaration, it was the Declaration of the United Nations Conference on the Human Environment. Okay, so human environment then is what you're kind of teasing out there. So it's the same way as human geography, I guess. Yeah, okay. And so it places the person or the society in a physical place and it already implies this interplay between the two. Absolutely. And that first principle that I was sort of alluding to is the embodiment of that idea of mixing the two. So it talks about, it opens up with this idea of, you know, humans should have dignity and freedom and so on, but it 
contextualizes that within a duty and a responsibility they have to nourish the planet because they finished by arguing that you cannot have that dignity and that freedom without a healthy planet. So definitely interrelations between that. And so this is sort of the early insights in, in 72 and in that kind of era coming out of environmentalism of what sustainability is, or, or at least what it isn't, which is environmentalism. You know, it's more than environmentalism. And this becomes even more obvious um, when we, you know, hit about 1987, for example, we can look at the Brundtland Commission and uh, they very rarely mention, you know, speci- make specific mentions of the environment or of the planet. They're at this point talking about um, the needs um, of the next generations and so on, right? So the Brundtland Report was also called Our Common Future. And so it talked about humanity as a whole and it was this, it wasn't about the earth and the earth is dying and things like that. The focus of it seemed to be a lot on how to, how can every person live a good life and live a life that is free of the struggles of basic human survival and things like that. And so the exact wording, and this is one of the most famous uses or definitions of the term sustainability is within the context of sustainable development. And this is the exact wording from the report. Sustainable development is development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And so another word for that is intergenerational equity. That's often, it's not another word for sustainability, sorry, but it's another kind of, I guess that's the idea that's being teased out of in that. So this idea of equity between generations. So we're not even just caring about humans today, but future generations to come. Well, that kind of ties into sustainability itself being a concept that is tied to time. Absolutely. You can't have sustainability without looking at the past and future of a certain act or a certain situation or point in time. And even within that Brundtland report, and this is in the conclusion of that paper, they highlight that physical sustainability is not enough. It's not purely enough to just achieve that because social equity within each generation is necessary in order for there to be equity across generations. And so once again, you have this interplay of these two concepts of the physical environment and resources that, you know, the natural world gives us. And and notions of justice and fairness and equity um, being just as important as ideas of, you know, carbon emissions and uh, biodiversity loss and resource constraints and so on. And so the word sustainability itself becomes this very important term as a... Uniter? Uniter, yeah. 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 And so it's something that everybody says, yes, we agree, we need it. And now the question is sort of, you know, where do we go? Where do we take it? And it's also clear in some other... We're drawing a lot from the United Nations here, but in the Millennium Development Goals, which were these goals that were presented at the turn of... Um, this century, well, this mil- at the start of this millennium, actually, that aimed to basically do things like end poverty and things like that. And it was great and it was a very noble thing that they wanted to achieve. But the only time that sustainability was mentioned in those was in goal number seven of eight to ensure environmental sustainability. And the successor of the Millennium Development Goals, the Sustainable Development Goals, has the word sustainable 
in the name of the all <laughs> the, the goals themselves, it, yeah. you know, and that's a pretty big statement to take to yeah, say absolutely. that even though in some ways if you compared the two, like if you compare the SDGs to the MDGs, in some ways the SDGs seem like a rehashing and sometimes a breaking down of the MDGs and there are slight changes, but they have pretty they seem to have pretty similar things they want to achieve like gender equality like no poverty like good education for people and things like that but the sdgs explicitly state that sustainability is inextricable from achieving all of these goals if we achieve all of these goals we are closer to achieving sustainability and i think that's a pretty big an important statement that they've made by naming them the sustainable development goals in themselves absolutely and i think you know what we're seeing here between the difference between the Stockholm Declaration I talked about in 72 and the Brundtland Commission in uh, 1987 and the difference between the MDGs in the early millennium and the SDGs, which we have now, we're seeing this trend of, I guess, an increasing confidence in the idea of sustainability and an increasing kind of uh, body of work being built up around it, I guess. So on one hand, you can say, you know, the MDGs, or sorry, the, the more recent SDGs, Sustainable Development goals are a rehashing of the MDGs, but they're also, I think, uh, they represent a growing sophistication of the ideas around sustainability. And also, I think what's happening is we're getting more of a coalition of people involved. So we're hearing from more voices, you know, hearing from more marginalized groups or alternative, you know, theories of, you know, economics and, and politics. Once more people are starting to come to the table, it's starting to become, I think, a more fleshed out idea and so on. So even with the shift from the MDGs to the SDGs, according to the UN Development Program, one of the key reasons why they moved away from the MDGs sort of model of it to the SDGs was to advance better understanding of cross-sectoral work and the interrelatedness of goals and targets. Which is sustainability in a nutshell. So I think all of this is, everything we've said so far, I think perfectly illuminates, you know, uh, the multifacetedness and the kind of ever-shifting nature of sustainability and the challenge that we have in our podcast and, you know, the other work ahead in trying to cover all those different facets of it. But I think it also captures why we're doing this because sustainability is kind of the great uniting, you know, theme, the, the umbrella term which brings a lot of really good and interesting and, you know, fascinating ideas together. And so that's why we want to explore it. So if we take it back to the literal definition of the word sustainability, you know, it, the root word is to sustain, what do you think that that, what's the significance of that root word and what are some other interpretations of sustainability or other ways that people could be practicing it? Right, so... To go back a little bit to what you said earlier about time, I think, because when you talk about sustaining something, it implies, you know, over a certain period of time. And I think one of the big things with sustainability, one of the sort of differentiating points between different conceptualizations of it is time-based. For some people, sustainability, you know, it means persisting over time, sustaining something over time, potentially for thousands, millions, hundreds, indefinitely sometimes even. But then for other people, you have this what the Brundtland Commission called kind of the physical sustainability, which is just can the system that you're looking at continually feed back into itself and sort of remain either indefinitely or effectively virtually lasting forever, you know, do have a feedback loop in a system. 
is that sustainable in that sense? So you have two di- very different kind of ideas there. One of something persisting over time and one of being something being kind of functionally uh, like an aerobarus. Have you ever heard of the aerobarus? You know, the snake that eats its own tail? It's this idea in Greek mythology and, you know, it's the rep- kind of the representation of the infinite or the sustainable and it's the snake kind of eating its own tail. That's the circular economy, maybe not the best conceptualization of a no circular economy. No offense to the Greeks, but <laughs> I have a very disgusted look in my face yes, right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll revisit the aerobarus and, and the idea of the circular economy later. So we have some idea now of the different ideas of sustainability, the different definitions, some of which are competing and so on. But how is it actually practiced? You know, out in the so-called real world, what does sustainability actually look like? And one of the sort of ways that it's practiced, or one of the things that we we can look at is this idea of the three pillars, which is, you know, a theoretical framework of sustainability, which explicitly, to, to follow up on what we were saying about before about going beyond the environmental, says the three pillars of sustainability is the environmental, the social, and the economic. The idea there, obviously, is to be integrative, like we've been talking about, but you get this practiced explicitly in business with this idea of the triple bottom line, which again looks at the same thing. It's triple because it's looking at the three pillars. It's society, economic, and environmental. So to what extent does the triple bottom line embody sustainability, I guess, is the question. Sort of corollary, a related question of that is to what extent, therefore, is the three pillars a good framework for, you know, operationalizing sustainability? And... It sounds like a bit of a cop-out to say this, but it kind of depends. It depends on what you're looking at, right? I mean, there are different examples, I think, of uh, triple bottom line and and more broadly corporate sustainability and corporate social responsibility. Um, All ideas we'll discuss more as we sort of delve into this in later episodes. But just quickly, I think, you know, uh, two quick examples. You can look at a company that has a true believer in a CEO and somebody who genuinely believes in ideas of sustainability. Maybe there's a personal reason for that or, you know, maybe they're just a real, you know, hippie type. And the way that their company might practice um, sustainability and the triple bottom line is very fundamental. You know, they'll reshape how their whole company works. For example, they might um, shift from providing a product, for example, carpet, in the example of interface carpets, they stopped providing a product and instead now provide a service where they instead of selling you the carpet they rent you the carpet and then they come in they take that carpet out when it gets old and they recycle it and turn it into new carpet so they're trying to approach this whole system you know systematically for want of a better phrasing whereas you have an example like mcdonald's and in new zealand with the uh, filet fish they were you know marketing as sustainable there and you know supposedly embracing this triple bottom line of you know um, not just chasing profits but chasing the social good and chasing the environmental good and in that case you know mcdonald's wasn't farming the fish sustainably and the new zealand government knew this but they were conflicted because you know mcdonald's fishing in their waters brought in a lot of revenue and and paying them to be able to say that it was fish sustainable also brought them in a lot of revenue so there was this you know profit motive there motivating the the government but then also you know they have this mandate you know by the people to care for the environment and care for their constituents so it really depends, I think, on what specific area you're looking at, whether or not the sustainability that you're looking at is being practiced. And, and that applies to more than just, you know, the triple bottom line or corporate social responsibility. It just applies to anything you're looking at. You know, you pick up a can of tuna and it'll say sustainably sourced and it might be true of one brand, but then it's not true of the next brand, you know, two centimeters over on the shelf. So it is a cop out, but it all depends, I would say, you know. 
and and we'll, we'll as I say we'll delve into this more later I think in other episodes and even more than governments and companies and corporations and stuff there's also so many other people and groups of people who are involved in the pursuit of sustainability to go back to the whole environmental focus of the beginnings of the sustainability movement environmentalists obviously have a part to play in whether it's you know whether it's lobbying or whether it's voting with their dollar or uh, like as consumers or whatever it is or even people who may not necessarily seem to be explicitly like doing things with the goal of sustainability in mind but achieving sustainability through the things that they pursue such as feminists Mm -hmm. you know if you look at the sustainable development goals gender equality features a fair number of times in the goals listed on there because the UN recognizes that if you empower women because you basically have 50% of the world population that are maybe like less educated and potentially not in the, a similar position to make choices in the same way as the other 50% but then you also have things like contraception and you have lifestyle and you have all these other things and that inequity in itself leads to a lot of unsustainability yeah 100 percent. and yeah to kind of add to that thought yeah the un does say and all the data itself says you know data which is just the raw figures you know not anybody trying to make a point not advocacy but itself but the data itself says you know feminist causes directly help in reversing climate change for example so i think that's an excellent point to be making because a lot of people don't realize that they're practitioners for sustainability or that they're contributing to sustainability. You know, you talk to your average feminist who's, you know, at a, at a rally for, you know, um, empowering women to have access to their own family planning and choose, you know, the size of their own family and be in power of that. And um, a lot of them aren't even directly making the link themselves, you know, to their actions and, and the broader environmental and social context. So, Like even if you think yes. about something that you have done today, so far that you may not have had sustainability in mind of that. Just give me an example off the top of your head. Well, I'm a terrible case study here because I think about sustainability constantly. Right. So it's never in well, the back of my mind. All right. Well, I'm maybe sitting there analyzing my every little, you know, act and deed in terms of sustainability. But I think a lot of people, you know, they might ride a they might ride a bicycle to campus because they like felt like riding the bike that day. And because they didn't take the car, they've done something more sustainable. And they may not ever think about that. And they may not have ever been a conscious act. Maybe it was just cheaper. Yeah, exactly. No, 100%. Even just an economic decision. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty broke right now and I'll be riding my bike in, you know, probably next week rather than paying for buses all week. So, you know, maybe that even, even with me, maybe sometimes there are things I do that I think oh, I'm doing this for economic reasons, but it has this co-benefit of being more sustainable. So I think 100%, that's a great point to make. Often when we think about the practitioners of sustainability, you know, we might be tempted just to look at the experts and the academics and the businesses and so on and the NGOs and whatever, but it's everyday people, you know, it's groups and communities too. So to our... Listener, you, the person who's got your headphones in your ears and is desperately listening and trying to understand what is sustainability, think about what it was that you were doing at, say, 11 a.m. this morning, or if it's before 11 a.m., then 11 a.m. yesterday. What were you doing at that point in time? And if you didn't have sustainability in mind in that act, see if you can find a link, because 
there's a chance that it's going to have something to do with how it affects the future, how it affects other people, how it affects the physical world, how it affects the economy, politics, really, whatever it is. Whether it was just what article you were reading online, because that'll influence your choices. That may influence where you're putting your ad money, you know, everything. It's all interrelated. And I think that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the essence of sustainability. It's complex. It's, it's complex. E- it's everywhere. It's a, it, can, it can be anything. Yeah, it can be the application of any discipline or any area to this idea of, you know, sustaining over time, persisting over time. So sustainability is more than just the green things. And yet there's such a strong green bias that still exists in it. Like you do a simple Google search of the word sustainability, like a Google image search, and you just scroll down. Yeah, you know, we you would, keep scrolling. We would encourage, you know, people listening if they're doing it on the phone, just, you know, multitask out, open up Chrome and type, you know, sustainability in there and just see what happens. You'll yeah. see a sea of green. A sea of green. You'll see, you know, plants. Uh, there's this famous motif of the hand holding the plant. You'll see that about 10 times, you know. You'll see a lot of leaves. The earth. You'll see the earth a bunch of times. And yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of nature motifs. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're trying to challenge here, which is why this podcast is called The Grass Ceiling, because the grass ceiling, the word grass implies this environmental sort of lens or environmental barrier. That kind of holds us back from achieving, you know, what sustainability, you know, at its best can be, which is a, an embrace of complexity and an embrace of going beyond a single discipline. And I think we both... Um, realize that we both share that kind of belief that sustainability should totally be about, be about more than just environmentalism. And so that's how this all began. And that is what we will be focusing on, you know, to an extent in this podcast is trying to take you beyond the environmental. Obviously, we'll be talking a lot about it, but we want to give you as much of the insight into the rest of it all as we can. So for sources on stuff that we've talked about in this episode, and cool links and essays relating to the content of stuff that we've talked about today, go to our website, www.thegrassceiling.net. A big thank you to our wonderful supervisor, Edwina Fingledon-Smith, and also to the ANU Centre for the Public Awareness of Science for letting us use their awesome studio. We'll catch you next time. And this has been The Grass Ceiling. Just two more shout-outs to add since we first recorded this. First, to Jackson Weeb for all the music used in this episode, and second, to the ANU Fenner School of Environment and Society for all the support in making this project happen. What, what? By the way, I'm going to, like, from all of these recordings, um, mm-hmm. whenever we record anything that's funny, I'm going to make a blooper reel, okay. which is going to go. So we're going to have, Amazing. like, a little blooper <laughs> that goes at the end of each episode. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so this one, I'm thinking probably Nick going, my essays are great and I love when people write like me. <laughs> <laughs>